Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And usually uh, Mayu says his name here, but Mayu isn't with us today. He will be featured on the podcast um, as a co-host, just not in the preamble section. He bought a pre-construction that finished building and is in the process of moving in. So exciting times for him. I guess that's the update on Mayu's end. Sure, his mortgage business is keeping him busy. But let's get into some of my updates on my end. Been overworked on the wholesaling side, uh, to be completely honest. A lot of deals being shot out, um, which is a great thing. But um, we hired a disposition manager who will be starting on Monday. And hopefully that will free up some of my workload because I've been working pretty much from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Um, every day and working on weekends as well. Obviously, that's not really sustainable schedule. So super happy to have some help on board. Um, everything is tracking along well. There are problems that still come up on the wholesaling side, and we're always putting those fires out, um, but nothing new there. Um, one thing that we learned is, is that with things with vacant possession, uh, a lot of the time the owners don't know how to particularly get a vacant, even though they'll just promise vacant possession for more money. But then at the time of closing, they might start struggling to get tenants out. So what we've been doing now differently on our business is, is that we assume tenants. Um, and obviously, when we wholesale, we'll have to wholesale it where the buyer assumes the tenants. But along that process, we try to negotiate an 11 with the tenants and cash for keys, such that if we can get it vacant on possession, great. But the deal doesn't live on it just being vacant upon possession. Because again, homeowners are just going to promise anything they can to get the highest dollar amount. And you're closing when they figure out they can't do it out. We just don't want the deal to die. Um, so learning new things in this business still day to day. Um, had a couple of successful cash for keys conversations negotiated with lawyers, surprisingly. So one of the tenants that uh, ended up trying to do cash for keys for, they got legal representation. And then now I'm having a back and forth negotiation with the lawyer. So the good thing coming out of this is, is that seems like the lawyers understanding my positioning and willing to get the tenant to sign off on the cash for keys. So obviously that's super fantastic. Um, but other than that, not really much else. Again, life is just very busy. Can't wait to get the hire on board uh, and get another admin on our team as well, because even our VA is loaded up. Um, but that's a good sign. Um, obviously, that's a sign that the market's crazy. The off-market world is crazy. Anyways, I'll keep this short and sweet, and we'll jump into today's episode. We have a very special guest, Kwame. Kwame actually is a good buddy of mine and Mayu. We got started in real estate in and around the same time. Um, we were actually investing in Windsor. I wouldn't say together, but around the same period as well. Kwame is a tremendous investor. He's experimenting with new strategies. He recently opened up, um, I believe, uh, some sort of engineering design firm that helps real estate investors with additions and constructions and things of that nature. He actually built his first addition recently, uh, specializes in student rental investing in Windsor with tons of cash flow. And he gets into creative financing strategies because he got into investing with only a couple thousand dollars, but was able to leverage private money to get into his first couple of deals. So a lot of golden nuggets in this episode. Just one quick thing to note is, is that Kwame does speak about a refinance of a recent deal that he's done. 
Um, he just wanted us to update you because he's the most transparent guy in real estate. But he wanted he wanted us to mention that right now the appraisal or the refinance is getting kind of iffy. The lender is um, there's a couple of hiccups along the way with the lender. Uh, so he just wanted to give that update here. That information about that particular refinance is in 100% up to date. But if you want to follow along the journey, Kwame is super transparent on his Instagram. You can just go ahead and follow him there and he'll be sure to give you guys updates along the way. So without further ado, we'll jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have our very special guest, Kwame, um, all the way from uh, where are you right now, Kwame? Uh, I'm in uh, Accra, Ghana. <laughs> where Not it's in Toronto. Degrees. <laughs> No Wait, it's what? Way, 53 but... degrees? Is that what you said? No, 32. Oh, 32. I was like, holy shit. 53 would be fun. <laughs> like, Why are you putting yourself through that suffering if it was 53? <laughs> so Kwame, like us three, I think, know each other quite well. But for our audience and our guests that maybe doesn't know you, why don't you give everyone kind of a quick background on yourself um, and what you've done to date? Yeah. So hi, everyone. My name is Kwame Afrani. So uh, by day, I'm a professional engineer. Uh, the rest of the time, real estate investor. I'm started investing in real estate out in Windsor in 2019 uh, with a focus in student rentals. Since then, uh, built, building my portfolio from there, learning new financing techniques and kind of like just going with the rhythm of things. Um, also, I've been involved with uh, mentoring people along the way to get them started in their um, real estate journey, specifically those looking to get their first property, as well as I have an engineering design firm that does both architectural work and engineering design as well. So that's just a little uh, bow in, uh, in summary of what I do. Yeah. And a huge J. Cole fan, but Austin doesn't like that. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't slander my name. <laughs> J. Cole's cool. Yeah. He's all right. So Kwame, I think your story is super interesting, especially for investors looking to jump into the game because you started off um, with very little capital. So I want to dive into your story on what got you started in real estate investing. Then let's go into your first deal because it's a deal I think that will inspire people to think more creative when they finance the first deal. So yeah, so basically um, the thought of investing kind of started when I was in university. I think specifically, I think either to my second to third year or so, it was the first time I was renting and obviously there was a rent increase and I was like, oh, what is this? This is new. So um, my friends who've rented before, like, oh yeah, that's normal, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, huh, just out of curiosity, let me see what the numbers are on this. I didn't know anything about real estate except the mortgage calculator. So there's a property on sale for um, on the street and it was listed at a certain price. So I took that number, put it in the calculator, put it against the amount of rent the landlord was collecting. I was like, Oh shoot, this is actually like pretty um like uh, the, the numbers are pretty good. Like it makes it interesting. So from there, I told my friends, guys, we should get a place, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, ah, no, like they obviously like we're all students, like buying a house is not in the mm-hmm. plans. And then I so then I was like, okay, let me talk to my parents and stuff. And my dad's a very jovial guy. So he's like, you're a broke student, forget about it for now. So so that's where it began and ended. So fast forward, um, graduated from uh, university. I hopped around like a couple of jobs and I finally got a place that I was comfortable with. And what I noticed that the sequence of events was go to work, come home, play video games, watch Netflix, but then there's no growth in, in the bank account. 
So yeah, basically at that point, I was like feeling kind of like, is this all that it's about? And I was looking through different uh, business plans to go through and stuff like that. So coincidentally, at that time, I took a trip to Ghana, kind of got some inspiration because over here, like um, systems are kind of choppy, but people are still making the best out of it. So I was like, damn, like if in Canada, we have systems that actually work to an extent, why not capitalize on it? So I come back, um, I was actually going to do a different type of business altogether and my dad approached me again and he's like, you have everything set, but I don't think you're passionate about this. Is this something that, uh, is there something else that interests you? And I was like, eh, this real estate thing. What, so what was that business? <laughs> <laughs> it was hair extensions, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we we had a supplier and everything. We were ready to go. Had the design, but like, it just. I mean, look, I don't have a lot of hair on my head, so obviously. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, yeah. So basically, he approached me. He's like, "Hey, like, is there anything else?" I'm like, "This real estate thing." It's like, okay pitch me on it. So casually just hopped on realtor.ca. I'm like, okay, this is on Partington Street. It's for this. If you can get at this, and this is the kind of rent we can get. He's like, okay, that's interesting. What's what's next? I was like, oh shoot, I guess we're going ahead with this. So in that moment, there was um I was like, okay, like if there's buying from the parents, I know that if I screw up, at least I have a place to sleep. But then there was one person I needed confirmation from to move forward. And that was the landlord I rented from when I was in university. So I hit him up. I'm like, hey, thinking to do, of doing this is a good idea. And he's like, of course, it's a great idea. I started at your age. So once he said that, I was like, okay, I'm all good to go. And that's how I kind of like got into it. So that trickles into like me getting started in the first deal. Yeah. And what was the first deal that you bought? It, I guess it was out in, in Windsor, it sounds like, if you're talking about Partington and student rental. So what was the first deal like for you? Yeah. So the first deal, basically, so um, so at that point, when he gave me the go ahead, he kind of gave me access to some of his resources, like uh, the realtor and stuff. So um, so yeah. So that so we'll do this in in days. So this is like day one. So like day three was probably a Saturday. Uh, I went down. Um, I was meeting his realtor, and then I also wanted to get my own. So met the first realtor. That realtor showed up drunk, and it was like pretty bad, <laughs> bad experience. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to convince your parents, they're like, "Hey, like what you you know what you're doing," kind of thing. And then I met the landlord's realtor, and he took me through. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, um, the price points there were a bit higher, so they were like, I think it was two eighty nine and two ninety, and my my uh, cutoff point was two fifty, basically. So yeah, so we went through, we saw it, and he's like, "Okay, we'll be in touch, whatever." And I believe what was like, your what what was your cutoff point based on? Like when you say you had a cutoff point, so, yeah. So basically, that was based off of um, I spoken to um, uh, mortgage specialist, and uh, this was one mistake I did. I should have gotten a written pre-approval, but he took my information and just verbally said, "Oh, you can qualify for two fifty. So later down in the story, I'll backtrack to that point. But yeah, so that's what I went shopping with at that point in time. So he was like, 250, no problem. Any day we can make it happen. So that's what I went with. So yeah, so generally when looked at the homes, the very first one I saw, I really liked. That was on Rankin. Um, but that was listed at, I think, uh, what, the 289. And the other one was on Randolph, I believe. That was like 290. So out of my price range, but I really liked the professionalism of the realtor. 
So yeah, basically came back, drove back. My dad was like, okay, it looks like a good idea. See, see what you can do with it. And Monday, the realtor calls me. He's like, hey, so um, first guy listed at 289 has dropped his price by 40K. It was 249,900. Dude, do I want to put in an offer? I was like, okay. I mean, the, the, normally they don't take asking price, but let's put it in and see. And so put it in, go to work, come back, 8 p.m. The guy calls me. He's like, oh, yeah. So the offer got accepted. I'm like, oh, shoot, that's so sick. Like, I, I got the offer accepted. And then it hit me. I'm like, where am I going to get $249,900,000 from? So quick pause uh, right there. Any yeah. conditions or you want firm on that deal? Uh, I put a condition of uh, financing and home inspection at that time. Why did this the was- price drop then? Because in 2019, Windsor was like on an upward trajectory. Yeah. So like at that point in time, this was like February. So just in February, February yeah. yeah. So just starting and the guy had, pre- I think he had listed it like for weeks and he wasn't getting any interest. Um, I think one of the issues that he had was uh, he had tenants in and was under rented at the time. So he wasn't able to offload the the property as such. So mm-hmm. I just got lucky and he just took the offer and just, it just went, it just went through there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what happened with financing then? What was your, cause did you have the money for the down payment? I guess like on 250, it'd be what 50 grand or so. Yeah. So, so this, uh, so this is the funny story about it. So when I was going in, like I had no like information. All I knew was that you could buy a house with a mortgage. Um, so at the time, um, I think I had about maybe like 15,000 or so, but then part of it was like projected as a tax refund. Cause I normally, when you recently graduate, your first tax refund is pretty sizable. So I was adding that amount I had saved. So I was kind of looking to kind of do like a, like a 5% kind of, kind of situation. But the funny thing that happened was, so I go back to the bank and I'm like, Hey, like, uh, I got this under contract. I have seven days to fulfill the conditions. Uh, can we get the mortgage going? So he goes and he comes back and he's like, Oh, actually we can only qualify you for hundred and forty thousand dollars i'm like what <laughs> did you have what, you- what was that like that's a big difference, <laughs> that's that's a big difference. to go from i could get you 250 no day to 140 was like i like my mind was blown i was like this is ridiculous i don't have 100 grand just sitting there to do like this um so anyway so he says that he tries to do some stuff it doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden, like I started researching, okay, what are alternative ways to finance this property? Because I was under a lot of stress. I thought that like, actually, I guess technically within the conditional period, you're supposed to have everything at least formalized, right? So I thought that by seven days, you have to have the whole um, <laughs> amount ready. So I was under a lot of pressure. But again, that's a tip to everyone that's like... Um, so one, make sure you get a written pre-approval, but also like going through the process of putting in an offer teaches you so much. So you get to appreciate, okay, this is what happens as you go along the way. So anyways, um, so yeah, start researching private mortgages, start talking to other. So I spoke to other banks, but they wouldn't be able to meet the time because it was such a short time frame. Because again, the guy didn't tell me the 140 on the Monday. I was like, probably there were maybe like three or four days left on um to meet conditions right 
So anyways, um, go through, speak to a couple of private lenders and uh, what was coming back was kind of overwhelming. Like they were asking for more money on the down payment, extremely higher interest and stuff like that. So um, at that time, I was still in touch with um, my landlord that I first touched base with. And he was pretty excited. He was like, oh, congratulations. And that's mine. The property's already bought. So um, I tell him that, hey, it looks like I'm going to lose the deal, all this kind of stuff. I can't secure the financing. So he says, send me all the documents you shared, and then uh, I'll see what I can do. So I send it to him. He goes through it. And then I think about an hour or so later, he sends back a deal. And this deal compared to all the other private mortgage deals I've seen was like, it was really good. It was like, I was like, okay, this could, this could work. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is a good deal. I'll take it up. And he's like, yeah, it's a good deal. So then, so well, he put what, it what was that like private? Like, what was that? Like lender fees interest? Like, do you remember? Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a 95% LTV. So basically I had to put 9,900 down. Um, it was like a one year term. The interest rate was eight and a half. Eight and Holy a half. Shit. That is That's really good. good. Yeah. 95% loan to value on eight and a half. Yeah, eight and a half. And, uh, and then and at yeah. that time, interest rates were like around 3%. Three. Right. Yeah. So, like, this is the landlord giving you his money. Like, was he doing you a favor essentially? So, the, so I see this and I'm like, wait a second. Who's like, whose money is this? Who, like, who is doing this? And it's like, oh, I, I'm your lender. I was like, oh, shoot. I didn't know you were into that business. So, another pointer to the folks is like, when you're doing stuff, be sure to like share what, like talk to people about what you're doing and things. Cause you don't know who could give you that lending hand at a critical situation. Cause I would have lost a deal. Like, but just because of that initial conversation, Hey, is this a good idea to, Hey, I'm going to lose this and he intervened. So, yeah, so what I find is actually when a lot of people are in that situation, they won't talk to people about it and you're just not doing yourself justice because if people don't know about it, you're not extending your hand out for help, right? The fact that you were just open to like, how's it going? And you just yeah. told them exactly what it is. That's the reason why he, he helped you out in that situation because you were open and chatted to him about it. Exactly. Yeah. Because then if, if you don't talk about it, then no one's going to assist you in any and anything that you're doing. So, so that came in pretty, pretty clutch for me. And in that situation, very grateful for it. So yeah, um, got the property. Uh, it was initially like a three bedroom, uh, two baths, but one of the baths wasn't like fully completed. So I just rejects the, the basement, finished up the bathroom to make it like a five bedroom, uh, two bath. Um, so with that, like the existing tenants, they were going to leave anyways. So all those who pass on the deal because of them, like kind of missed out on that opportunity. In addition to that, in order to reduce like my, um, my carrying costs during that period, the new tenants I was bringing in, they signed the lease right after these guys left. So, um, I got the property. So you didn't um, have to renovate it or you did renovate it? In between i did renovate it but it was rented so because in the summer the students are not there yeah, okay, and okay. i made it come to them that like hey i'm going to be doing this work here it's for your own benefit and they're like whatever and then yeah so that, that that in summary was how the technicalities of that first deal in terms of like the financing and coordination so, went. yeah so after your first deal it sounds like it was kind of like you just jumped into the water and you kind of had to swim uh you found, yeah. you found a, a lender that worked out for you um, sounds like yeah. the carrying costs hopefully weren't that bad, especially because student rental and Windsor back in those days, really good cash flow, right? How do you continue to scale from there? 
Yeah. So basically, so on that deal, obviously, um, so one thing to note is uh, private mortgages aren't for your long-term investing. You always have to find a way to pay back the lender, right? So in this situation, after I fixed it up and all that, I, I burned the property to pay out the private lender and then um, also see how much I can cover off my my renovation costs. So basically burden, I think I got, I didn't get too much money out of the burr after paying everything, but at least like I was owning, so bought it at 249 is a phrase for after a series of appraisals, the phrase had to be 10. So that was enough to pay out the lender fully. And then I think it, it covered my rental costs because for that rental, it didn't really cost that much. I think it was like seven grand or something mm. like that at the time. So what did that uh, scope of work include? I'm just curious, seven grand? Like yeah, so, <laughs> no, so yeah, so there was pain and then there was like uh, the, the existing floors were okay. So then it was just um, like your drywall and, and wood to kind of like frame up uh, the two bedrooms. One of the bedrooms is already framed, but I just need, I needed to steal a bit of space for some of the other rooms to make them livable, quote unquote. So yeah, it wasn't that extensive. I think today that was like, my easiest renovation to start. Normally people's first are normally hectic, but like um, also like my background in construction and stuff made it like kind of help bring that cost down. So like I, I hired the individual trades to kind of get the work done. So that kind of uh, immediately knocked off the GC fees, which could be about like 10, 15% on the entire like construction. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, I guess to answer my earlier question too. So um, basically at that point, even though like I had gone through the burr and paid everyone out, I was still like, I still didn't have the lump sum cash. So in going on to the next deal, again, went back to private again. So got another property, which um, when I looked at it, so when going with private, like properties could sell at like, so a realtor would say properties are going for at this price point right now. But if you're going to private, you can't buy at that price point because you cannot fulfill your your debt obligations, primarily the mortgage. So anytime I'm looking on the market, I'm always looking for uh, deals that have uh, that at least give me the opportunity that if I should refinance, at minimum, I can pay off the private lender. So that's my that's my main target. And then the rest follows. So and at that period in time, that was also like during the pandemic, too. So. There was a fire sale. So there are a lot of those kind of deals there. So I think I picked up two of them that fit that criteria. Went private on both of them, them up, refi them. And uh, yeah, so kind of... So you did one private on two houses? Uh, yeah. So they were two separate uh, private mortgages, but... Oh, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. And those deals, I, I remember one of them was an Askin and you got it for Askin's one of the best streets, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. in, in Windsor. What was the numbers on a high level on that one? Yeah, so for that one, so I got it. So that one, I got a two fifty flat. Um, it was uh, I got lucky. It was an estate sale. The kids just didn't want to deal with the house anymore. So literally, like normally, they wait till evening to open the um, offers. As soon as I sent it in, like thirty minutes later, accepted. I was like, okay, that that works. So, and it was during the pandemic too. I think this was literally the first two or three months, so it yeah. people were just holding back. Yeah, yeah, because this was like I think like May almost 
or was it before? But yeah, I was around there. So I guess they, one, they were scared about the pandemic. Two, they didn't have any knowledge of the streets. So they just let it go at that price. It worked for me. So I got at 250. The funny thing about that period was the university was, was closed. Everything was online, right? So I had a dilemma at that point because I had these two properties and I had to figure out, will I get students and to justify the extensive renovation I'm going to do? Or am I going to go with uh, like a young professional approach or a family approach on it? So once I got on the contract, I started advertising just to test the water. Actually, I wasn't testing. I was actually trying to get tenants. So put the ads out and the So you did this without renovating? Yeah. So this was prior to renovating. So basically my pitch to them was, uh, house looks bad now, but it's going to look great. Trust mm-hmm. me. <laughs> <laughs> that essentially like filtered through a lot of people. Is that if you can't trust, like I trust myself, but if you can't trust me, then it means that down the line, let's say, I don't know, pipe burst. I said, okay, give me a day or two. I'll get a plumber out there. If you can't, like, if you don't trust me with this, then you can't trust me with that. You'll be a, a headache tenant. So it was part of like my filtering process for the, for the people. So at the time, uh, the uh, student tenant base wasn't that like strong per se. Yeah. Ultimately, I ended up renting it out to two young professionals. And then I think the other one went to a family. Uh, so that now that I knew who the client I was actually going to rent the place to was, I could now renovate to meet their criteria. Because then otherwise, I was going to add bedrooms that weren't going to get any income, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so basically, uh, this uh, these showings happened in June, and the agreement was they would lease it in September. I had like basically a tight deadline, like four months to do that. But then now I knew that, okay, if I spend money here, at least I know who's going to. So for those units, basically the plan is once they cycle out, um, add, because my, my go-to is five beds. I don't, I try not to go past five beds. So I normally have five beds, kitchen, living space. Why do you, why do you stick to five? Um, so five is more manageable. You kind of like don't get like the break, the group breakups kind of thing. And then, um, well, once you start to go past like five, like I, I know people do six, six is also attainable, but once you add too many bedrooms, then the wear and tear on the, on the house becomes a lot. And then like even managing, cause I manage myself too. I find that it's easier to also fill a, a house of five, five or four. Is good, right. but then cash flow wise, five gives you a, a slight edge. Like that extra room is basically um, adds on to your cash flow, basically. So, so it's more of a management slash cash flow related decision when it comes yeah. to that. So with these, yeah. So basically, um, uh, fix them up. So the asking property Austin mentioned, I think it came up to thirteen grand. Uh, so basically, we did the kitchen, uh, we did a half bath in the basement. Uh, painted the place. So it was pretty cos- cosmetic, but a little bit more involving because it was a bit, it was really dated. So bought a 250, I refied, again, a series of refinances. If I go into my beef with appraisers, that would be a whole other segment. But the final appraisal came in at, uh, I think, 355 for nice. that one when I was done. So, so that really worked out well for me. The- and that was another full burr, right? Yeah, that was another full burn. And you bought it. You yeah. bought it using private, and then you got your rental and your private lender paid back. And then I'm assuming it was kind of the similar story for the other private one that you bought at the same time, right? Yeah. So that one bought it at two fifteen. 
Um, that one I'm still like upset about the value, but whatever. Uh, so Is that, that the I, one where you're doing uh, an extent? Uh, you did an addition on or no? No, that's the uh, that that that's the new one that I did uh, last year. You can always refinance it again, Kwame. Don't worry, man. Yeah, yeah. The other one, the, I still got my money out. It was just that I felt like it could have been more, but at least everyone got sorted out, so that was good. So let's okay. talk about what, what you've been doing. Cause I, on social media, I see like, I don't know what you've been doing anymore, but I think there's been a lot going on in the background. So I'm curious about the most recent deal that you've been working on um, and, and what's been going on there, what the pain points are and what the, the wins are and struggles, et cetera. Uh, the most recent deal. So that again, um, so that was the start of 2021. So it was on one of the really good streets in, in Windsor on California. Um, so for this okay. one, again, going for a student rental approach on this one, but uh, the house was bad. But basically at that point in time, I wasn't really looking because I was focusing on trying to get like my active business stuff going. So I was passively looking and I saw this place and I threw in an offer. Basically, they rejected it initially. I went in at 240 for this one just because of the street. And then later on, they came back and said, would you take it? And at that time, I already knew what bid they accepted previously. So um, I was like, I'll go in at that price. So that was 220. Yeah, 220 was the price, yeah. So, so you went in at 240, uh, yeah. and then they rejected you because I guess you were preemptive? Okay, okay. oh, you had conditions. And then they um, sold someone else that was 220 firm? 220 firm. <laughs> that person ended up pulling out? Yeah. Cause I have a feeling, I have a feeling they, cause I, I won't lie. The house was scary, bro. <laughs> the house was scary. So then I, I don't blame that person for, for pulling out, but then I'm what happy. So scary? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw the photos and videos of the before, maybe yeah. your photos and videos didn't do justice of the before, oh, but it was like, Oh, it's just cosmetic renos. Oh no, man. It was so like, like during the rental, like the main beam is basically sawdust. The roof had holes in it, water coming through. And then the size of the rooms were basically like closets. Like, I don't know how you fit a bed in those spaces. So it needed like a lot of love. So like, funny enough, the home inspector I went with was like, oh yeah, this is just a cosmetic rental. But then like you're walking and then the floor is like going all over the place, right? So and when we actually like gutted the place and we saw what was behind the wall, oh my God, <laughs> it, it needs a lot of work. If he had gone cosmetic, uh, definitely you'd be sending a, a repair person in there like every week, basically, because there's definitely always going to be a problem. Yeah. Got it. So, so you had to basically strip that house down to the joists, uh, replace, the, I guess the joists <laughs> and, um, you know, redo wiring, electrical, like plumbing, the whole kind of like nine yards, right? Uh, was the house basically vacant for a long time before that? Or was it? Uh, no, it was actually rented, surprisingly. So there was someone actually living in there. And uh, during the construction, one of the workers said, oh, like the, the lady actually came by and was like, oh, wow, the, the, I never thought this place could look like this. Like you used to have like rats running all over, like, whoa, <laughs> too soon. So yeah, basically went in there, um, gutted it down. And then I saw it as an opportunity because at that point in time too, I had uh, recently got my engineering license and I started the design firm. So I was like, okay, let me just take this on as uh, like a starter project to kind of like hone my skills individually, separate from work. 
and then kind of learn the ropes as as I go along. So that's how I kind of treated it. So uh, it was kind of like both adding to the portfolio, but also like uh, technical skill development for right. this. Yeah. What was the what was the rental cost for? Mm-hmm. I guess the the main unit, right? Or not main unit, the actual house mm-hmm. and. What did you do? Let's walk into everything from the financing aspect of an addition. Yeah. Um, what made you decide this was the right property for an addition outside of just like, this is a good pet project for my business because the numbers have to make sense from yeah. your perspective. So what yeah. did you think about how this would add value to it? Um, and what cost did you project as well for the addition? So disclosure, my initial estimate for it was like extremely lower than I thought because then I didn't know that like i knew the floor was bad but i didn't think it was that bad so initially when i saw it obviously got 220 i think we projected about 80 to 90 including the extension because extension i think we were looking at about 180 80, <laughs> 80 90 including the extension hey eh? coffee's yeah. making his dollar work <laughs> yeah good you got to man until the, the 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 wood prices went up and that became a whole issue. But, I just want to uh, specify you were G, like you were also GCing everything. You knew you were going to be doing yeah. all of the heavy lifting, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because at that time, I had developed like a decent rolodex of grades, and I knew people, so I I, I was confident enough to pull it off. Let me ask you this: the eighty ninety. Yeah. What is the addition, and what is the actual house? Yeah, so um, I think the addition at the time. We were looking at about, um, was it like 150 a square foot or so? And uh, okay, addition yeah. uh, square footage was about, um, I think 140 or 150. I don't remember. It's around 100 and something. Because I'm basically, we wanted to build the addition to uh, cater for uh, part of the second bedroom plus the third, uh, plus the fourth bedroom. I mean, the third, we want to cater for the third bedroom plus the fourth bedroom because uh, initially we wanted to make it a five bed because obviously I like five beds, but there were a couple of challenges uh, that we faced because the lot was undersized. So we had to go through a minor variance in order to get a permit work for that. So in doing that, if we had forced the fifth bedroom, um, we wouldn't be meeting the requirements for like the setback and stuff like that. So um, I, had to, I had to concede and go with the fourth. That's what the addition mainly was for, for that, making the rooms more uh, legal sized and uh, livable. Got it. So, so what did your final numbers end up costing you? Because And how long did this take? Like, how long does the addition part, if we were to talk about that? Because I think a cosmetic right now, um, I, I know it's not cosmetic. I know you had Joyce and stuff like that yeah. place as well. But max, that's maybe, what, three months, four months? For uh, for the extension part? No, no, not the, the extension for the, the main house. It's probably oh, for three the four main, months only. Yeah, yeah, main house three to four months. Uh, the delays that I faced in there was obviously having to go through the minor variance component. Uh, but what my workaround for it was okay, fine. I I created two two packages where the first package was for the main house. So the main house was like uh, pretty much quote unquote done. Like it just needed like pain and whatever it was pretty much done by like we're saying three to four months and then we had to wait for the um the minor variance to pass and then apply for the permit so that's another that adds on time and then that extended it but yeah main house three to four months basically even with all the uh unknowns and 
uh, stuff, yeah. What was the process like applying for permits for the uh, addition and the minor variants? Because, of course, this is your first time going through it as well. Did you hire someone or did you do everything yourself? And in the minor variants, why didn't they end up approving it? What was their pushback? Oh, so the minor variants got approved. So I did it myself. So uh, generally, like I'd seen uh, like I'd done it professionally and I worked before. So I knew what how to go about it. So. Uh, basically, in general, uh, I guess I'll just run through how you go through the minor variants. So um, for Windsor specifically, first, you have to have your what you're proposing you're going to do. So existing, proposed, then uh, you, um, you go for a pre-consultation. So pre-consultations with the zoning department. So they will pass their comments and then the planning office also pass their comments. So when they pass their comments on that, you get a sense of how viable your um, your project is. So at that point in time, for me, it seemed like I just like, so they gave me some reliefs and they said, yeah, this, this should be okay to pass, no problem. So once you have those comments, then you apply to go to the council meeting called the Committee of Adjustments meeting. So in that meeting, it's a public meeting that they have once a month, but you're supposed to get your documentation in before a certain date, else you have to wait like a whole month to get in. Unfortunately, uh, we missed that date because the comments came in late. So there's not much you can do about it. You just have to wait for the next month. So uh, you go to the meeting. At the meeting, there's like a committee. So basically uh, the municipal uh, workers, so like the chief engineer or whatever, and they basically review the, the application. So once you apply, it's circulated within the city to like, various departments to pass comments. They review that. And if and generally they have a recommendation for it to pass or not in that document. So normally the com- committee generally goes with it unless someone from the public like raises a huge concern. So one of the previous ones that I've been in, um, there was a concern raised by the a public person about parking. Because generally the person who was building was not providing parking and the parking on that street was already hectic. So that's where there, there was a um, headbutting at the meeting, basically. So, yeah. So for mine, it went pretty smoothly. Like, obviously, like, we have a parking out of back. It wasn't like we were doing anything out of the ordinary. It was just our lot is undersized and just asking for permission to build it. So once they approve it, though, you can't just go ahead to it. I think there's like a 15 or 20 day grace period before you can take it to, um, you can apply for the permit to actually do the work. So it does get pretty long. So you're looking at about, if you meet the first submission deadline, you're probably looking at about two to maybe two and a half months for you to have the permit in hand to even start work, right? So you, so when you're doing these things, you have to like really plan ahead, else it could severely impact your, um, your construction schedule. So sorry, just for me to re-understand, you have four or five bedrooms in this house. Four. Four, yeah. And you applied for minor variants for the fifth, but the setback, they didn't approve or you didn't apply for that one? So when I bought the house, they advertised it as a four-bedroom, but technically it was a two-bedroom. So then the minor variants that I applied for was the extension on the back to give it enough space for it to be a complete four-bedroom. Four-bedroom, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so, so the extension, um, are you just extending the entire kind of back wall of the house or is it kind of like a partial extension of the house? Um, and then how much does that cost you? And I guess you said 
Oh, I guess you answered this earlier, but you said it was about $150 a square foot. Um, and then how much square feet was it? 400? Uh, no, it's about, uh, let's say like, let's say about 150. Yeah. 150 square feet? Yeah. Okay. So that's not bad. It cost you about 22.5K. How long no, no, that was his projection. What was the actual? Oh. <laughs> so I think, how did he even come up to? I think it was like, so yeah, I think it was 167 final. What was like, the actual cost? Because you projected around 21K, right? What was the actual for the addition? What did that pan so out he's to? Saying the actual what, was what was the difference? And sorry? He's saying the actual was 167 a square foot, right? No, no, no I mean actual cost. The actual cost. So yeah, the actual cost for it, I think... Uh, dollar value it came to 30 something like 35 36 okay and was that because of labor shortages and materials or what caused their i guess reno to go up 15 yeah so yeah so so around that time the the price of lumber was coming back down so that kind of saved me so it could have been 50 easily because then we, the, the amount of wood we bought for the main house cost more than the extension Mm. Yeah, so so what? that so, doesn't sound too bad to me still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so when we got to the extension part, that's when um they were like uh like things were kind of like getting back and the prices were working out. So in a way the delay by the city kind of helped me out because if I had built it during the time that I was working on the interior mm-hmm. where it was like above 10 bucks like yeah, by by now I'd probably even be on this call. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the extension is worth it? Did you see the lift in your after repair value compared to if you didn't do it uh, from a timeline and headaches perspective? Because I'll tell you where it's coming from. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of just doing a cosmetic reno and and getting the shit done with, get my money out ASAP and just defer. Right. So if, for example, I know there's future potential in a property, perfect. Defer. (laughs) Right. I'll read the future potential at a later date, whatever, you know, you have more time or more capital and so on. So I'm just wondering for anyone that's out there kind of right now, investing in the market um Mm -hmm. i am seeing more people move towards conversions partially because i think that's the way to kind of get the the lift in today's market right it's harder to get it on a normal conventional but i I guess from your side did you see a higher arv as a result of doing the extension um Mm -hmm. what are your overall thoughts now after doing all that work i guess i'll I'll approach on twofold so uh extension work isn't for every project per se so like for example like for, for me, if I'm able to get legal rooms, it translates into dollar value because it's a student rental. If you're doing a family rental, like, I mean, mm. yeah, like maybe a three bed and a four bed may vary, but what, by $100? Like, mm. is it really worth doing? So it depends on the model that you're, you're, you're working with. That, that's what determines the value. Again, if you have a two bedroom on a very huge lot, and you wanna, I don't know, like, do, cause then, uh, for example, there's a project that I'm assisting someone on in Mississauga. And basically he's doing his ADU, but it's above ground. So he's putting the door on the side and he's building the extension instead of doing it in the basement. So for him, it translates into dollar value. So if your extension doesn't really translate into rental dollar value, yeah. then I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't really go for it. Now, in terms of relation to my project, um, okay, yeah, this podcast will come out like way before. So I guess you guys will hear the numbers first. So um, when, I, when I first got the project, I projected the ARB to be about 
uh, 400 to 425 just because of the extent of the work I was doing. Now, in general, when I personally find that when you're doing a renovation project in, in Windsor, maybe 350, maybe. <laughs> so at this point in time, when I was looking at, at the work being completed, I was like, I, I feel like this could potentially be a, a 400 ARV because of the way, because of the extent of work I was doing on it. Now, the actual appraisal. So the first time I went for the appraisal, the value came in at 345 and I wasn't happy with it, which was pretty upsetting. So either way, I had, I had a debt obligation, so I had to clear the private lender. So I did that. Now, um, I think it was like two or three weeks later, I do the appraisal again with a different bank that like basically has... I call them like my second mortgage bank because then every time I do the uh, appraisal elsewhere, I somehow always get a lower value. And when I go there, I get a higher value. <laughs> so so they, 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 they do the appraisal and it comes in at 440. So way above, nice. yeah. way above what I projected. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is what I was actually looking for. So obviously, there, because of the, um, the extent of the rental that was done and the money I was in, I have, I think, about maybe like 19 or 17,000 like tied in, but I'm owning a 440,000 uh, asset. And I've been able to clear all like at least majority of my um, debt obligations, right? So I did see the lift in my second appraisal. Um, so um, all in all, like I'm a happy camper with the, with the project overall because then <laughs> I got that lift, uh, got it tenanted, it's on a good street and then also improve my technical abilities as well. So, yeah. And I think part of it is also, even if you have a slightly, I mean, it's not even a high net investment. I mean, you think about it, like, like what you talked about, right. 20 K to control 440 K asset. Uh, yeah. There's also the side that you, you've rebuilt a whole lot of it. And you, so your deferred capex and, and repairs and maintenance should be lower. Yeah. Well, you got a good tenant. So uh, perfect, Kwame. So appreciate all the insight that you shared about your journey. Uh, generally, at this point in the podcast, we like to ask our guests two primary kind of questions. Um, the first is being, where will we be seeing you five years from now? Um, so yeah, five years from now, um, I feel like I'm hoping that by that time, like obviously have a pretty stable portfolio that's rolling along. And then uh, the, my active business would have picked up as well. That mean, um I don't think we talked enough about your active business. So what is it exactly that you do from the active business side? Yeah. So from the active business side, so uh, generally, so I do, um, so it's an engineering design firm. So we do architectural work and engineering design. So um, generally, if you're applying for permits for your building construction, so be it extensions, uh, basement conversions, the whole nine, we are even on retainer for some specialty products like screw piles and stuff like that. So mm. um, we generally provide those, those services, lot severances and stuff like that uh, to investors and homeowners alike across Ontario. Yeah. Cause that's where we're licensed to operate. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And um, I guess for any newer investor or for yourself, um, what do you perceive as being the main risk in today's world from a real estate perspective? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, I didn't even answer the other question. So, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically, yeah, my hope is that like, yeah, the portfolio is stable enough, it's self-sustaining. And then, uh, the active business is kind of rolling along. Cause I mean, the real estate, real estate is good, but then you need like, uh, kind of like a jolt to kind of 
for the whole ecosystem to sustain you basically. So that's, so that's why like starting like last year, I was really digging deep into uh, the active component. So like similar to you guys, like Austin has his wholesale, you have your mortgage stuff. So that's the direction I'm going on. Cause that's where I feel like my strengths are better well suited and uh, I know enough people to get me going. So five years, that's my hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, so for, for newer investors uh, or, or more experienced investors than yourself, um, what do you perceive as being the, the biggest risk in today's market? Um, I think the biggest risk in today's market is um, I feel like some people are not really doing their, their research as much. So they're putting in offers that are, I guess, I would say if I look at it long term, maybe risky. Like you don't need to rush to to get a pro like you're trying to buy a deal. You're not just trying to buy a house. So don't like if they tell you that, okay, the house homes are worth 400 in today's market, and you're saying you're gonna do a burr and you're buying it at 450, where's your spread? Like you have to you have to think like an investor and be okay with getting rejected offers. Rejection is not bad. You mm-hmm. can learn a lot from a rejected offer. And like it builds your, it builds, it gets you to know, like get a sense of where the direction the market is going and stuff like that. So I guess like patience and patience doing your research and being okay with rejection. Because I have a thing that what is meant for you will come to you, basically. That's awesome, man. I think uh, I tell a lot of my mortgage clients the exact same thing. Some people will say, hey, like I know you know people get outbid on on the market a lot, but you know whenever I make an offer, I get the house. I'm like. Probably not something to celebrate, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rough, rough. Awesome, Kwame. Really appreciate you jumping on, man. I know you're on vacation right now, so appreciate you taking time out of your vacation to share your story here. You're doing amazing things, and I think it just shows the creativity of an investor. Even though you didn't have that much capital to get started off, and you were in your 20s at that time. Um, you're still able to grow, scale your portfolio and level up in your journey, explore additions, explore more active income streams. So your journey's just been a treat to watch, man. And I'm sure you're going to continue doing fantastic things. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, what's the best way to do so? Um, yeah, so best ways on Instagram. Um, so at Afrani Properties. Um, yeah, that, that's the best way. It has all the links to all the other stuff that I do. So that's the best place to check it out. You know, it's funny. His name's the Windsor guy. So if you ever change markets, you, <laughs> brand, you got to rebrand. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. We'll see. Awesome, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the podcast. It helps bring great guests like Kwame out here. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better.